Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Williams and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Today on the podcast, I am talking to Kirsty Mulcahy, founder of Sober Buzz Scotland and Sky Rose Coaching. Kirsty has went from party girl to alcoholic to living her best life alcohol-free. Five years sober in December last year, Kirsty's life's mission is to show people that there is another way to live life to the fullest without wasting your weekends hungover and regretting your life choices. Kirsty trained with Animas Coaching and holds an accredited diploma in transformational coaching. She has worked for various drug and alcohol charities, including in HMP Edinburgh, where she supported offenders and their families in recovery. Kirsty currently volunteers for Cards Rowan Alba. Having set up Sober Buzz three and a half years ago and qualifying as a coach, Kirsty has supported hundreds of people to address their relationship with alcohol. This is a fantastic conversation for anyone who has wondered about the role alcohol plays in their life. Kirsty herself is warm, engaging and simply a top human being. So whether you're already living alcohol-free or sober curious or just simply interested, I know you'll get a lot of value from this one. Welcome to the podcast, Kirsty. I am so honoured that you've come to talk to me today on Know Your Own Psychology. And I also had thought it was quite timely to have you with us because you are someone who has helped many people to reduce or quit drinking and other addictive behaviours as well, I guess. And I think this can often be something that's on people's minds after the excesses of Christmas. So yeah, let's just dive in. Firstly, please, can you just let us know a bit about who you are, what you do and why you're so passionate about it? Thank you so much, because I feel really honoured to be here. Um, I'm Kirsty. I am um, I'm now 46, which is quite important because I'm going through quite a difficult time in my own life at the moment, navigating that, as we've just spoke about. Um, I'm a mum of one. And I have been sober for five, I was sober, um, five years sober in December there, um, after a very, very difficult time with alcohol, in my, particularly in my 30s. Um, I'm passionate about this because I believe that my life would be over when I stopped drinking. I, one of the reasons I really put off stopping because I thought that means everything's over. And a lot of my personality was kind of tied into the fun time Kirsty, good time Kirsty, party girl Kirsty. And I'm very much living a life that I never, ever imagined. Um, I lost my mum at 33 very, very suddenly. And um, that just spiralled me into, I was left with a lot of responsibility and I had no coping mechanisms. So I drank more and more and more. And by the time I stopped drinking, Laura, I was drinking every day 
on average three bottles of wine a night you know I had a job and stuff but I was I was very much sucked into the mummy needs a wine and um, so I was an alcoholic yeah yeah yeah. and you know it's so interesting you've touched on so many of the themes of the questions that I'm about to ask you one of them being about you know mummy time and mummy needs wine to get through their days and also you know just how we can often medicate out of grief loss you know all manner of negative um, life events or experiences Um, so I'm sure this is going to be a really useful conversation for people um now, you, so you mentioned that you've just celebrated five years milestone. So congratulations for that. Thank That's you. Such a massive achievement. Um, could you just cast your mind back for us? And you've told us a little bit about what impacted your drinking, but what, what did the impact of your drinking then have on your psychological health and well-being, would you say? Yes. So I knew from the age of 27 that I had to make a change to my drinking. And I stopped when I was 41. Okay. So that's 14 years of constant thinking about if I don't drink tonight I'll be okay if I just drink a couple of glasses of wine so it was all consuming and I was diagnosed as having a variety of mental illnesses but I wasn't talking to my doctor about how much I was drinking I was absolutely lying how much I was drinking Mm -hmm. so I was taking medication but it was having no impact on me because of the amount um, that I was drinking so psychologically I was very down on myself I thought I was a very bad person I often talk to my clients about zooming out not just looking at the drink zoom right out and when I stopped drinking I managed to zoom out and look at my life on a much bigger scale and see I was actually a a good mum I was a good daughter I was a good friend I was great at my job Um, but psychologically for 14 years I only could focus on what I saw as being my biggest downfall and that was that I was addicted to alcohol I had no boundaries and when you're somebody who feels so badly about themselves, you feel that you have to overcompensate in people pleasing. Mm-hmm. It meant I was extremely tired all the time. I felt that I had to give everybody 110% and left nothing in the, the tank for me. Mm-hmm. You'll know the saying, you know, you have to fill up your own cup before you can fill anybody else's up. Mine's was never, ever full. I didn't believe I deserved happiness. And that, even saying that today, makes me feel very sad. I didn't believe I deserved to be loved. I didn't, so I had some really, really dodgy relationships because I thought, well, I, did, I don't deserve to be treated any better. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I talk about when I got sober and when I talk to my clients is I learned how to love myself. Now, that is not all like, oh, you're amazing, Kirsty. That is, <laughs> okay, maybe you need to have an early night. Maybe you need to eat better. Maybe you need to move your body. And I just didn't do any of that for, for such a long time. So I truly thought, I used to say out loud in the shower, always in the shower, I hate myself. Like I used to, I used to see these affirmations of, you know, I hate myself. I am useless. I'm, and that was, you know, going on in here. Whereas today I can quite comfortably tell you, I love who I am. Yeah. I need some work done still like everybody, but you know, I'm working on that. So for 14 long years, and I was a single mom at that time, I still am a single mom. I thought I was the worst person on the planet because all I was focusing on and I didn't even realise at that time that I was self-medicating. That wasn't language that I understood at 27. Yeah. As I got older, I started to think, okay, maybe I can make a change. Yeah. God, it's amazing just hearing just a little bit about, you know, the underpinnings of that, because I suppose that remains hidden for so many people for long periods of time. And what I'm hearing you talk about is, you know, I would talk about that's core beliefs that, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm an awful person, I'm an awful mum, all of those things. And that it's tricky because that then sort of, um, it's cyclical, isn't it? So that drives the behaviour because you feel bad about yourself again and then you continue and it's so difficult to sort of pull yourself out of that. Um, 
and obviously you, you were talking about the amount of alcohol as well and I think things change you know and, and people drink a lot in the house and you know so it can remain hidden like how were you managing to hide that from people so I live alone I've got a daughter who's an adult now and I live alone I've li- I've lived alone for all of my daughter's age so for 19 years I've only lived alone um so I would come straight in from work I had quite a stressful job in the corporate world so I was working really long hours yeah. my daughters always went to her dad's a couple of times a week we're very a very close family I'm very lucky mm-hmm. um but it was just you know as I made dinner I would start drinking wine as my daughter got in the shower or the bath at night I would open another bottle when she went to bed the third bottle was open mm-hmm. all my friends knew that I drank a lot um a couple of my really close friends when I stopped had said to me you know that they didn't know how to help me they didn't know how to speak to me because they were so concerned about how upset I was about my mum's death as well um, I had a partner we didn't live together but when he would leave at nine o'clock to go to his night shift job I would open more wine I didn't drink in the morning and I didn't drink at work but at the weekends so for example if I was making a roast dinner I would think oh I'll just open the wine at half 11 on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. um, I was sneaking drinks when I was out if somebody was at my in my house having a drink with me I would pour extra into my glass before I went into the living room I was very aware of what other people were drinking and it did slowly but surely creep up on me. And I'm somebody who likes to treat themselves. I'm somebody who likes to be like, oh, I deserve this. So I was telling myself, I deserve a drink. Now, a lot of my clients say to me, they have this narrative as well, and mm-hmm. this belief of I deserve this. And I would ask anybody who finds themselves saying that, even though they don't want to drink, ask yourself, what do you really deserve? Because you don't deserve the hangover in the morning and you don't deserve those negative thoughts that, that you're having and those limiting beliefs that you spoke about. It's not only our own limiting beliefs that we carry, it's quite often limiting beliefs of ex-partners, people we've worked with, and we hear those voices in our heads as well. So I kidded myself on that I deserve this wine. Yeah. Um, and now I realise that I didn't, I deserved actually, I deserved help. I didn't know how to ask for help. And that goes back to that shame that I felt about my drinking because I thought if I ask for help, it's going to open this big can of worms and everybody's going to say, Kirsty's an alcoholic. And that was terrifying to me. Yeah. And, you know, it's so um, good that you bring up shame because I think that's the number one reason why I think people do not get help because they feel so ashamed and so shameful about their behaviour, what they're doing, that they just stay silent. And I think the moment that you're able to sort of voice things, it just, you know, it gives you that space to to do something different. Um, Okay, so just moving on slightly now. So it seems to me that so many more people these days, and certainly those of the Gen Z generation, are kind of thinking seriously about reducing their alcohol use and or just not partaking at all. What do you think about this current sort of cultural shift in attitudes around drinking behaviour? So when I started my first sober page, so I've got Sober Buzz at the moment and I've got my business page. I started my first sober page four years ago. Yeah. And the reason I've done that was because I could not find a positive experience. Nobody was talking positively. Now we've got a huge um, amount of AA groups in, in the UK, which are great and they work for some people. A did not work for me. And I am that middle ground of, so people can come and speak to me about it. And I think the big shift in culture is social media because there's people like me and many more if any of your listeners want to check out the hashtag Insta Sober or hashtag Sober Curious, you will find thousands of pages of people saying, actually, I've done something different and I don't drink anymore. Yeah. I also do believe my daughter's 19 and a lot of them don't drink now because they don't want to look silly on Snapchat or they don't want to like, you know, they, whereas when I was younger, thank God, there was nothing like that. Um, so there's yeah. not that, that shame thing again. People are 
more aware of that. And I think the, the more we talk about something and bring it into the light. So a lot of my clients tell me on the first or second sessions, oh, what a relief, because I can I can share with you um, and it's non-judgmental. If anything is kept in the dark and then shame, it festers away. But because people like myself and many more are bringing it into the light and saying, listen, we do, you don't have to drink anymore. More and more people are thinking, oh, I don't have to have a problem to stop. I can just say this isn't working for me anymore. Like, um, if it has any negative impact, say if you've like missed your kids' football one morning or you've had to call in sick or you've eaten really badly, you eat well Monday to Friday, you have a few drinks and then it all goes down the pan. That's having a negative impact, isn't it? So people are going online and thinking, oh, those men and women aren't drinking. So it doesn't have to be this shameful, oh God, Kirsty, stop drinking. She must have a problem. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a rock bottom. And I think that is amazing that instagram gets a bit of a bad time at you know rapid times but i think there's so much positive stuff in there if you look for it so i think that's probably a big factor yeah absolutely and i just wanted to pick up on what you said there about you know back in our day we're similar um, ages but like back in our day you know you could go out and get drunk for your pals and you know nobody was really taking pictures that would go anywhere whereas i guess now like people are posting stuff online all the time and wouldn't would never think to ask your consent for that if you you know um and I suppose that's a that's a major part of it for maybe that generation but it's you know it's amazing and I'll um put in the show notes Kirsty to sober buzz on your page as well um, thank you um right so a couple of years ago I read the book the unexpected joy sorry of being sober and I think you'd recommended it and honest to God, Kirsty, that book just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, and it was such an eye-opener, I think, for some of the ways that women in particular, I think, are bombarded with messaging that normalises drinking behaviour. And when I was thinking about this, the meme that always springs to mind for me, and you mentioned it just briefly at the beginning, is, you know, um, there's a picture of what's intended to look like a stressed out mum and the caption reads, it's gin o'clock somewhere. Yeah. And the message is essentially, well, if you're stressed with mothering or being a mother, then it doesn't matter what time of the day it is, you can medicate yourself with alcohol. And I'd just be so interested to hear your take on social messaging around drinking, because I, I so after I read that book, I literally saw this stuff everywhere. And I couldn't believe like how my eyes had been opened and I hadn't really seen it before, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's actually a book called Mummy Needs a Wine, and I've done a huge post about that because mm -hmm. Mummy needs a break; she doesn't need a wine. Yeah. Um, I think, and it's so interesting, Laura, that you said that because MD that works for me or MD that gets in touch with me to see they stop drinking, they say it's everywhere. Why am I seeing it everywhere? Telling me that I need a drink, <laughs> gift cards, um, posters for your kitchen, all this stuff, and it's a really um, well, it's advertising, isn't it? Like, and you, we know what advertising's all about is to sell something, yeah. but unfortunately, or mm -hmm. Unfortunately for, for us, you know, what it's not shown you is what happens afterwards, after mummy's had a few wines. Now, um, obviously, I've, I've told you I drank a lot as, as my daughter was growing up and I was definitely shorter to her in the morning. I was definitely didn't have enough. Um, I wasn't present enough. Um, I definitely wasn't able to give always give that full attention to my child and, the, you know, as, as she was need, needing my support. And we're not seeing that at all. Um, the, when we think about reaching for a wine, it's far easier to go, oh, I'm just going to pour a glass of wine than I'm going to sit down and journal about my thoughts. I'm going to sit and phone my parent, my child's dad and say, listen, I need a bit more help. So it's the easy fix. And this mummy needs a wine. Um, it's gin o'clock somewhere. It is the, it's almost telling us, well, it's okay. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's having a wine. So 
when we're thinking to ourselves, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, and then this messaging pops up, whether it's an advertising or a gift card or whatever, we're subconsciously and consciously told, well, it's okay because everybody's doing it. So it must be okay. And it allows us to push those negative thoughts behind because we don't want to deal with them. And that's the easier thing to deal with. Mm. I really can't stand the mummy needs a wine culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you see it everywhere, like on glasses that you can buy, mm-hmm. on, you know, as you see, birthday cards. It's just everywhere. Um, and I've become really conscious of not, not sort of buying into that, right? Really not buying into that stuff. Um, and I suppose what you were saying is interesting. So I almost look at that as like, you know, the things that we think about why we're not drinking, those sort of barriers or those cognitive blocks that we have, the messaging just comes in and like erodes that away, doesn't it? It just knocks it all yeah. down and you're like, oh, well, if everyone else is doing it, then I, you know, it's okay for me too. Um, so yeah, so it's just, if anybody wants to read that book, I've talked about this book to so many people. Catherine, Catherine Gray, the woman that wrote it, has written another one called Sunshine Sober, I think. Sun, Sunshine Warm Sober to sort of counteract the um, stone cold sober, you know, like it's a really warm and experience to, to give yourself a time alcohol free. I just want to touch on something you said, sorry, the cards, the gifts, the, yeah. you know, have a wine. If you're somebody who doesn't have a problem with alcohol and, 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 and it's causing no impact on your life, I'd be really thinking about sending those cards to people or even buying alcohol as a drink because lots of people are struggling at home and trying not to drink and they get given these cards or these gifts and they think, oh God, I can't tell this person I'm not doing this anymore. So even if we just stop sending them to everybody, it it can really help. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose you don't think about do that, do you? You know, like if you think about Christmas time, you know, you buy alcohol as gifts or you take a bottle to someone's house and those types of things and then they're left with that and they've got to deal with the consequences of that. Right. Okay. So this is shifting topic ever so slightly, but so my, um, I kind of consider my apprenticeship and working with addiction issues was primarily within Scottish prisons. Um, And I delivered a program which helped men to understand like how substance use was linked to offending behavior. And now I know that you worked within jails too, and I'd love you to read a little bit about that and what you learned about the importance of work in this area I can tell you're excited <laughs> I loved my time with it I worked for a charity that worked within HMP Edinburgh and with um people when they were released so I worked for them in the community as well and one of my roles was which I loved was I was a triage so if somebody came in and wanted to use our services I was the first port of call for, to go and speak to them um I had my keys. I used to walk into the halls and speak to these people. There's women in there, but mostly men I spoke to. Yeah. And I would say to them, tell me a bit about what's been going on. And more, more than once, more than times, they would say, nobody's asked me that before. Nobody's ever asked me my side of the story. And um, I remember a family member said to me, um, oh, it's not a job for a woman. And these people don't deserve a second chance. You know, but somebody who's very, very different thinking from me. Mm-hmm. My understanding when I left that job was many people don't have a first chance and um, addiction is rife in families. And we talk about generational curses and breaking them in generational um, behaviours and generational patterns. Um, and we're, we're brought up in a family who um, uses substance um, substances to, to alleviate pain. Um, I mean, poverty is trauma. We have a huge issue with poverty in Scotland. Um, and I saw that. I saw that these, these people didn't know... Um, anything other than to drink or to take classes to remove themselves from the horror or the trauma that was already going in a lot of these people were victims themselves um and we had amazing results with, with some people you know they would think i'm never coming back here again so i don't want to do this again and um 
AA is used a lot in, in the prison system, um, but there is a lot of great charities in there as well that are working to, to tell people you can live a different life. And it's definitely an area I will get back involved in. I still volunteer in that area. I, I don't want to speak too much about the people I volunteer with, um, but I volunteer for two charities, one working with um, ex-offenders and another working with people who have got um, alcohol-related brain um, um, damage through um, and I love that line in my work as well because you know there for the grace of God go I and I truly believe that you know who knows what could have happened to me if I took a slightly different path so um, a true honour for me to work in that position. Yeah I love it you're so animated when you talk about that Kirsty. <laughs> I just loved it I couldn't believe I was doing it I went from this corporate role to having a week-long training about prison self-defense and I kept thinking what am I doing in here I was two and a half years sober that point. what's happened in my life what am I doing but oh my goodness yeah a, a really interesting and um joyful which might be difficult for people to understand because I just love to help people and it was an area that not many people are, are willing to get involved in yeah no, absolutely and I guess for you at that stage you had lived experience as well so you really yeah. were to relate on a level that not everybody who is working therapeutically might be able to um, okay, right. So I want to come back to this idea of self-medicating because I see this so often in my clinical practice where people use alcohol or other things, you know, to medicate themselves out of feeling negative emotions or stressful experiences. And I definitely noticed this when I lost my husband. Mm. Can you tell us whether you recognized this in yourself before you made that decision to go alcohol free like when did you sort of realize because I think you said in your 20s you didn't really have that language did it become part of what you understood about yourself later on yeah so a massive turning point for me um when, when I eventually stopped drinking was somebody very close to me died of drink related oh. illness um they were a very poorly wee soul not much older than I am now um, and just in their early 50s and I was lucky to be very close to them and I was asking her why she drank and, and her husband had died very suddenly and I started to realise oh my goodness this lady has is self-medicating and my biggest fear at the time was that I would lose my then partner and then I started to think oh my drinking got worse after I lost my mum and I've not been able to speak to anybody about it. I took on a lot of responsibilities when my mum died. And it was then, so I think I was probably 40, coming up for 41, that I started to realise that actually when I went back and done a timeline on my life, so my drinking got quite bad again at 27, that's when my relationship broke down with my daughter's dad. When my mum died, my drinking got a lot worse. When my marriage, I was very, had a very short-lived marriage, my drinking got worse. And then that was then that I thought... I'm not dealing with what's actually going on in my life. And what I'm doing is I am disrupting that circle of pain and sadness and stress by drinking. So you're disrupting it by going out and drinking and kind of forgetting about it all. And, and the next morning you're back in that loop. And if anything, as you'll know, Mm -hmm. it's worse because you're then hungover dehydrated you're shamed again oh, I'm so shamed I can't believe I've done this again yeah. and when I stopped drinking it didn't didn't cure all my ails at all but about two years into my sobriety I managed to get some really good counseling and I was able to finally grieve for my beautiful mum who died so suddenly and um, she died of cancer very very quickly four weeks after diagnosis mm -hmm. big shock to us all yeah and um, so once I got sober, I was able to like, okay, I can maybe deal with this stuff now. And um, I dealt with loads after that. I had codependency issues. I had issues with my dad, all the rest of it. Um, but I'm no longer self-medicating. So I'm able to go, okay, that needs work with, worked on now. So maybe I'll try and do a little bit more work on that. Um, mm -hmm. But most of my clients have started drinking because of, or, or their drinking's got habitually worse and worse or, 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 or more prevalent because 
they link it back to something that's maybe happened and I don't deal with that that's not for me to deal with because I'm not a counsellor that's really important and I'm not a psychologist whatever but they come back they come back to me and they say I took that counselling through my work and oh my god the difference now that I'm not drinking because I'm allowing myself to feel all the feelings we talk about that a lot in sobriety and I'm now able to work through the issues that I've got because when we're drinking it's very difficult to 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 navigate what's going on yeah no totally and I think it's interesting that you know earlier on you said you know you don't have to have a problem with alcohol to notice its negative effects and I think that was it for me I recognized that I was using alcohol for two things one was to not feel and the other one was sometimes to feel and you know I would sometimes think I'm I'm so disconnected from the emotion and having Mm. a a drink would actually sort of connect me to that in a way um but yeah so on and on that note like I think I would describe myself for the last few years as kind of sober curious and I do bits and pieces and actually some people out there might be trying dry January right now and I'm I'm doing it um and it's interesting, Kirsty, because I've seen so many people online taking the piss out of dry January and yeah. really undermining it. Like, you know, skits and videos where people are like, you know, talking about how quickly like the you're going to just go back to it. What do you think it's about when other people are doing that? And how can people reduce the influence of others, do you think, on their decisions around alcohol use? OK, so it doesn't even have to be in dry January. Like it ended, it says to their friends. I'm going to stop or I'm, I'm taking a, a time off you know people can mock them and as you see the skits and the memes and all the rest of it yeah. there's a there's a, a few different things some people feel very uncomfortable around others that have decided to look at their alcohol because some people are thinking oh dear is that me should I maybe be doing that you know it's holding a mirror up you know so if I turn around to say to somebody I'm not drinking I remember saying when I drank I don't trust anybody that doesn't drink <laughs> I remember saying that so some people feel that oh that distrust you know what's going on everybody's journey is very very different everybody has different reasons for doing what they're doing and if you know some people might not understand if you've not got an issue with alcohol or you don't think you've got a problem with alcohol it's very hard for you to tap into what that person's going through it's very hard to be empathetic if you've got no idea what it feels like to be I do a lot of posts on both my pages for drinkers to say if somebody says to you they're not drinking here here are things you can do and you just acknowledge it okay can I get you an alcohol free option or is there anything else I can do to support that or, or that's cool do you want to do something else rather than go to the pub you know just even if you've heard it 20,000 times of this person just agree with them all right that's cool excellent let me know if I can support you in any way yeah. um so many people who are sober curious who are going down the path of trying um, prolonged periods of sobriety they yeah. do great until they go to a social a social situation and somebody who has no idea that they've done it turns around and says oh my god you're boring will you not have a drink or oh my goodness what are you doing this for or and they just have one because they don't know how to deal with that you know they don't they think, oh I don't know what to say to this person because in their head they know all the complex reasons they're doing this and they don't want to have to share that with somebody they barely know or or in a quick couple of minutes so when I work with my clients we look at all of that we look at the worry about what, what will other people say to me what is your story and who gets to know what because it's only your story mm-hmm. I still hear it now I'm five years sober and I am um, occasionally go on dates um and maybe more so last year if I was using the social the the dating apps and and I have on it sober I have on it not drank for whatever and then you go and meet somebody and they say oh my god what do you do for fun or oh because there's you said in the beginning of this this call there's so many people talking openly about their sobriety but that's because we see that because of the line of work that we're in and we're you're sober curious and I'm sober there's still a huge amount of people out there who have no idea that we are a a massive community and we're we're, you know a big movement at the moment so I have still felt that even this, this past 
last year, people have been quite disparaging or quite rude about my, as far as I'm concerned, extremely um, great decision not to drink. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? How, and I've never really thought about it like that, but it makes sense that you and I are in the circles that we're going to see that stuff. So it's maybe less prevalent for other people. Um, But yeah, just, just something to to think about, I guess. Can I just touch on that again as well? The other thing that really people struggle with who are deciding to stop drinking or are sober curious is when people say, oh, you're not that bad or just cut down or just don't drink wine when you're out or just don't drink. We've thought about all this. We are that bad. We have thought about it morning after morning after morning. And that is not helpful at all. <laughs> so um, and the majority of my clients will say to me, I've tried only drinking wine. I've tried not drinking wine. I've tried not drinking with my family. I've tried having water in between. We've done all these things. <laughs> we don't need to, but just try and do this. We're just trying to do that. So if MD says it to you once again, I must, I just want to urge, just say to them, excellent. There's lots of alcohol-free options. Let me get you an alcohol-free drink. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's it, isn't it? It's very much like a sense of like when you choose to make any change in terms of your behavior that's maybe been negative for you if it holds up a mirror to someone else it makes them uncomfortable and the natural tendency is to try and bring the status quo back because they don't want to then face oh my god like that I need to do something about my drinking if you're changing yours and mine is similar what what does that mean for me in my life um okay right if someone is out there and they are you know curious thinking about taking control of their drinking what would you recommend to do as like a very first step yeah absolutely so I think it's really important to know your whys what's your reason for doing this and um my business is called Sky Rose Coaching and two of my whys are my daughter Sky and my niece Rose and I've made them really prevalent and when I so when I stopped drinking I called it Project Kirsty I love a project so you know the first thing I had to understand is why was I doing this project so my whys, my list of whys um, will be very different from, from other people's, I'm sure. But write down why. So in the beginning, it'll be probably quite negative statements along the lines of, um, I don't like the hangovers, I'm spending too much money, I don't like my behaviours when I'm drinking. But as you get further into your um, prolonged period of, of sobriety, they'll change. You'll say, because I feel really fresh in the morning, because I've got more money, because I'm enjoying myself. Um, I would absolutely 100% tell you to read Quitlet, and you've touched on it already, the unexpected joy of being sober, quit like a woman, um, alcohol explained, start listening to podcasts, check out the hashtags I was telling you about, because once you see there's more people doing it, you don't feel so odd about it. So you're like, okay, maybe I can do this a little bit longer. Remove the cues, like absolutely remove. I removed wine glasses out of my house for a long time. I've got them now because people occasionally drink in my house. But remove any of the cues that make you think, oh, gosh, OK, I can have a wine. Don't have alcohol in the house. Don't kid yourself on that somebody might come in and you might want to give them a drink. They can they can bring um, bring their own. Mm-hmm. Make different um, different weekend choices. So in the beginning, especially make the highlight of your weekend at the mornings so you don't have to get up and swim in the sea like me at five in the morning but go for brunch with your friends arrange to do something exciting with your kids hold yourself accountable by telling other people listen do you fancy going for a walk this weekend do you fancy doing something that's not drinking with your close friends tell them and say listen I've decided I want to give a, a, a bit of a bash not drinking so would you like to do something different with me and um, the people that are that you're concerned about so quite often it's people's in-laws and um, if that you're worried about what the in-laws say to you you know you can just say oh I'm really thinking about maybe trying to improve my health this year like make sure you're ready for anybody coming to speak to you um, about that 
um, start a gratitude practice and everybody thinks like that's such a simple thing but gratitude saved my life it was one of the first things I did when I stopped drinking because I was really unwell I had to check into a crisis centre when I stopped drinking so I mean I, was in, I wasn't in a great place at all but I started my gratitude and do your gratitude every single day for the reasons that you're grateful you didn't drink the night before now that is different from your whys um, so you'd be like I'm so grateful that I had a really restful sleep last night and I got up this morning and had a lovely breakfast that I'd planned so start making plans and work on that project and see it as a real positive experience. In the beginning, you'll be thinking, I'm giving up everything. I promise you, I promise you, if you look at it on a from a different lens, zoom out and look at how it's affecting your whole life and how things will feel much better, start doing it that way. And don't see it as a punishment. See it as you're treating yourself to a period of time where you're really starting to nurture yourself and nourish yourself. Yeah, I love that, Kirsty, because it's so much of like what you're doing is actually just reframing the mindset around it, right? Yes. You know, it's not, I deserve a drink because I'm working hard. It's, I deserve an early night because I'm working hard and all those kind of things. And um, I, I was going to ask you about gratitude. So that's great you brought that up. And obviously that's hugely, been hugely important um, mm-hmm. to your journey. Um, okay, lastly, just where can people find and follow you? So you've mentioned um, Sober Buzz. I think it's at Sober Buzz, isn't it, on Instagram? So it's Sober Buzz on Instagram. And on the 28th of January, we have a massive Sober and Sober Curious event in Glasgow. I've got four different speakers from all walks of life. I've got um, people who have went sober for different reasons. We've got Q&As, talks, um, all that stuff going on. So if you want to be part of the sober community or you're maybe already part or you're just dipping your feet in, come along and see us. Like all That's all over my Sober Buzz page. Yeah. My business, as I said, is Skyros Coaching after my two favourite little girls. Um, and both on Instagram. I'm mostly on Instagram. Like, I don't know, do you do the TikTok thing? Oh, I've tried, Kirsty. I have tried and I've got a few thousand followers, but I just don't really, I don't know. Instagram's my place, I think. <laughs> Me too. And to, to touch on what we're talking about, you know, treating yourself and getting that dopamine hit, I absolutely am somebody that looks for it everywhere. So I can't have too many social media pages or I'll be looking for the dopamine hits all over social media. So I'm sticking to Instagram. That's always where I'm going to be. Um, I am extremely um, open to chatting. I it goes without saying what anybody tells me is completely confidential that goes nowhere quite often people message me as well Laura who need help for family members or who are concerned about family members and I have a list as long as my arm of charities and other organizations that can support people who are further on than the help that I can give them so if anybody's concerned or just needs a safe space to talk to somebody that's what I'm there for on Sober Buzz and on Skyros Coaching um yeah, I do workbooks for people who want to uh, try 30 days off the drinking. That's also in my link in all my bios. Um, and yeah, and I work one-to-one with people, which I absolutely love. And I've got a couple of groups that meet up on a Sunday morning and we share our wins and do journaling and gratitude and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm kind of busy, but it's great. Amazing. I love it. And actually, just I just want to touch on this just before we finish up because um, it feels relevant. So I think one of the things that you said there was about how, you know, so you, you had your sober journey, but you also got some counselling and support. And it's interesting because, you know, I've referred people to you and back to mm-hmm. me and all that kind of stuff. And I think people have to work out like what, what comes first and then potentially getting a bit of support around it all. But, oh, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for um, and having the chat. Amazing. I've loved it. Thank you ever so much. And I've really enjoyed your podcast. So I'll, I will listen Aww. to this one too. Thanks, Kirsty. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. 
If you have any questions, you can email me, hello at drlaurawilliams.com. And if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.